Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross and today we have a very bittersweet episode. Bitter because it's the last Monday Match Analysis of the year, the last of the season, but sweet because it's a very fun one. We get to look back at the year, the MMA awards, and also we had a lot of really great tennis last week, especially the final Sasha Zverev stunning Novak Djokovic. Before that, Zverev went through Federer. So we're going to talk a bit about Sasha Zverev. Uh, First, we're going to do the MMA awards. I did say it was the last one, but there is going to be some some exciting things coming your way. Um, I won't I won't disappear off the face of the earth exactly. Uh, Steve Flink conversation coming up. We'll take a look back at the year. Chris Lewitt, uh, my my coach and uh, a brilliant tennis mind. I'll have a chat with him coming up very soon. And also because it's the off season. Players have a little bit more time. Let's see who's willing to chat. So I'll be working on that for you guys. Hopefully we get to talk to some some touring professionals, and and that would be very, very exciting. But without further ado, let's do this. The the annual Monday Match Analysis Awards. It's actually the, the first edition, although it will be annual. And first, let's just take a look at our thumbnail before we do any of this. And... It is Sasha Zverev raising that World Tour final trophy, the biggest title of his career, the biggest title that any of the next Jenners have, have, have ever won because it's kind of in that midpoint between a major and a Masters 1000. So the way I did these awards, I thought of not as many as I could, but I tried to, to, to think of a good amount. Um, a few of them I, I tweeted and said, reply to my tweet with with what you think. But first, these are awards that I'm going to start with the awards that I didn't um, put to you guys for a vote. Um, and we'll start with best upset. There's the reveal if you're watching on video, if you're listening listening on audio, whether that be Spotify or Google Podcasts or, of course, the, the, the king of podcasts, Apple, um, John Millman defeating Roger Federer at the U.S. Open in those crazy, humid conditions. There were a few tough ones here. Djokovic losing to to Cecchinato in the French Open quarterfinals. Djokovic losing to Hyun Chung in the Australian Open quarterfinals. But I ultimately went with this one for a few reasons. I I didn't pick the Cecchinato upset because... We knew that Djokovic kind of 
wasn't at his his most stable in in his most stable form at that point. So that's why I snubbed that match. The the Chung match kind of similar. We we figured out that that wasn't as big an upset as we thought it was in the moment. But I would say John Millman beating Roger Federer at the U.S. Open, if they played that match right now, right now, um, and you if you ignore the humidity and, and the crazy conditions, I'd say Roger Federer would, would still win that like 9 out of 10 times. Um, so uh, to me, that that was the biggest surprise. And then I'm, I'm always going to give a huge boost if these matches are in a major. In fact, there are a lot of awards here that, that I'm about to go through, and I don't think, I think very few of them are outside of majors because everything's amplified in the four majors. So that's the best. Best upset goes to John Millman. Incredible effort by him. Let's go to the next one here. Best shot. Roger Federer at the U.S. Open against Nick Kyrgios going around the pole. And I totally forgot to get the video here. Um, so I will link it in the comments. I'll send a, I'll, I'll put a link in the comments. I totally forgot to put a video. But essentially, what I love about this shot is, and th- this is true for all of the best shots, it looks for a second like Nick Kyrgios is absolutely going to win this point. I did not think Roger Federer was going to get to this ball. And all of a sudden... There's no chance that Nick Kyrgios is going to win the point because Federer goes around the pole. It's not a miss hit. The ball goes about two inches, maybe maybe two to four inches above the ground at its highest point around the pole, perfectly placed. I mean, there is no chance that Nick Kyrgios is going to get that ball. So in a split second, it, it, it flips like that. And also around the pole is very rare. What I love about around the pole shots is it requires two extraordinary shots. It requires a brilliant angle and then a brilliant reply going around the pole. So best shot of the year, in my opinion, was this Roger Federer shot at the U.S. Open. By the way, I'm not going to repeat. I'm I'm not. Well, for matches, I'll repeat players. But for individual awards, I will not repeat. So so Roger Federer's um, award is best shot here. Best performance, Rafa Nadal defeats Dominic Team at the French Open. When I say best performance, I mean most dominant. I mean most convincing, most impressive, most complete. I'm talking a clean blowout performance on a big stage. And and Dominic Team had beat Rafa Nadal in Madrid the last time they had played. Nadal left no questions asked in this match. And for the second straight year in the French Open final, dominated Dominic Team in a straight sets victory. And to do that in a major final, you know, we can get used to it with Nadal. But, but it is no less astounding every single time. Um, now I want to transition to the awards that I did tweet out, and I'll read some of your replies here. Uh, so the categories are top three matches, comeback player, most improved player, breakout player, and player of the year. So I'm just going to read these for you guys. Uh, Kozlov says Djokovic Nadal is match of the year. Djokovic-Federer in Paris. 
uh, is number two. Nadal team U.S. Open number three. Comeback is obvious. I he's probably talking about Novak Djokovic. Breakout player is Hachinov, and that's all he he replies to. Uh, Nomo Paria says Nadal team number one at the U.S. Open. Djokovic Nadal number two. Nadal Del Potro at Wimbledon number three. For comeback player, Djokovic. For most improved player, Tsitsipas. And for breakout player, I have no idea. Number five for player of the year, um, they say Nadal. Uh, Little Wonder 186 is the Twitter handle. Top three, Rafa Team US Open, uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Wimbledon, Nadal, Del Potro, Wimbledon. Comeback. Djokovic, most improved, Tsitsipas, breakout, Hachinov. And then um, my guy Sid at Sidarians says breakout player is definitely Alex Dimonor for the speed he possesses. I'm sure he's going to give others a run for their money next year. So thank you for those replies. Um, I actually realize now that for, for one of these, I didn't make a graphic, which is terrible by me, but I'm just going to keep going, and I will verbally deliver, um, I believe, most improved player I did not make a graphic for. Player of the year is Novak Djokovic. It's tight between him and Nadal. Uh, now, both, both Djokovic and Nadal had periods in the year where, for Nadal, he wasn't healthy. For Djokovic, he wasn't playing well. So neither of these guys had a complete season. Nadal had to withdraw from the Australian Open, miss most of the hard court season, came back for the clay court season and the grass court season, and he was tremendous within that stretch. And then kind of had some issues once again um, in the hard court season, although he he did win in Canada. He had to pull out of uh, the U.S. Open against El Potro with the injury, and then he missed the rest of the season. So... Rafa had injury struggles and missed a lot of time on the hard courts. And Djokovic didn't pull things together whatsoever until the French, where he made the quarterfinals, got upset. Well, I guess before that, you know, at the end of, of clay court season, Djokovic started to round into form. And then from that point on, as soon as he won Wimbledon, which was his first big title of the year, I mean, he just ran away with things. And became the clear number one player in the world. So between Djokovic and Nadal, I give it to Djokovic because he won that semifinal at, at Wimbledon. And to me, that was the tipping point that decided who was going to finish the year number one that match. Um, and that was also kind of the only point where these two intersected as kind of they were they they were both at their best. Djokovic finally got to his peak. Nadal was kind of at the end of his peak for the season when it when it comes to his health. And Djokovic won the match by the skin of his teeth. So Djokovic is player of the year. That match was so important. That match really changed the landscape of tennis this year. Comeback player of the year is Juan Martin Del Potro. Finally, has a year where until the end, 
he was pretty healthy. There were some also some some little stints in there where where he had hit some wrist trouble. But at the end of the day, Del Potro, he gets back in the top five. He wins Indian Wells, and he contends in every single Grand Slam except, I don't know what happened in the Aussie. Did he play the Aussie? I can't remember. But I know he made the semis of the French. Um, I know he made the semis of, or he made the quarters of Wimbledon and gave Rafa a run for his for his money, then made the finals of the U.S. Open and, of course, won that Masters 1000 title. So Juan Martin Del Potro, his best season in a while. He's comeback player of the year, and there could be even bigger things in store for this guy uh, in 2019. The breakout player of the year is the one and only Karen Hatchinoff. The 21 years old, if I'm not mistaken, Russian. Um, Hatchinoff finished the year number 11. And what kind of separates from him for, with, I guess it was it was between him and Tsitsipas here. He finished higher in the rankings than Tsitsipas and he won the, the bigger title. Uh, he won that 1000s tournament in Paris and... Tsitsipas did not win a 1000s tournament. So Hatchinoff is the breakout player of the year. Tsitsipas is very close, um, which means Tsitsipas gets the honor of most improved player. Although I do not have a graphic for that one. Best comeback. That's actually another one that I did not tweet. But best comeback is Kevin Anderson. Down two sets to love in the Wimbledon quarterfinal. Roger Federer in form. Nobody saw this coming. It could have been upset of the year, but instead it's best comeback of the year. Incredible run by Kevin Anderson where he played, I mean, Federer was not at his best. I mean, Federer, Federer didn't, didn't play great after going up two sets to love, but Anderson just didn't blink. If you watch that back, the man didn't miss. It was incredible. So Kevin Anderson, best comeback, just to have the belief. Kevin Anderson's one of the mentally, one of the most mentally tough players on tour, and you have to be to to not get to not to not lose anything when you're down two sets to love against Roger Federer at Wimbledon, not center court, albeit court one, but to to have the wherewithal to kind of stay focused and have the belief to win that match is incredible. And now, the best matches of the year. And for some reason, one guy is in all three of these. And first, I'll talk about the match that I snubbed. I do not have Federer and Djokovic in Paris, the semifinals. I don't have this in here. It's best of three, which, which diminishes it a little bit. And what diminishes it even more is it wasn't a final. And what diminishes it even more is that it was Paris, which is the least important Masters tournament, in my opinion. So that just missed the list. If the, if the quality was, like, impeccable, it was really good. The quality was really good. It was a great match. Let's just, let's just keep it at this. It doesn't make the list because it wasn't a major and it wasn't a final. And it wasn't one of the bigger Masters of the year, in my opinion. Match of the year number three is Nadal and Dominic Team at the U.S. Open in the wee hours of the morning, a five-setter after Dominic Team smoked Rafa Nadal in the first set. Six love. Rafa comes all the way back in a match that featured just such attractive tennis with, with massive hitting from the back of the court. I remember what I said after this match. I still remember how I opened this video. I said the only loser in this match 
was the tennis balls. Because I think Dominic Team gained a lot from this match, and obviously Rafa Nadal won this match and, and had a chance to to advance to the next round and play Juan Martin Del Potro. But really, this, this match took everything out of him, as we could see in, in his next match. Match of the year number two. Once again, Rafa Nadal, but this time against Juan Martin Del Potro in the Wimbledon quarterfinals. Another five-setter, uh, a really fun match tactically. Uh, two two players who fight as hard as anyone, and there was just a lot of heart and soul in this match. I feel, and it's also again very very fun tactically. Where where Rafa started, I I swear you know he's really playing more and more like Roger Federer. And in this match, Nadal realized, oh, I need to use a lot of backhand chip and I need to go to the net a lot. And Nadal's got world-class volleys. And I remember saying, I don't think Rafa could have won this match if he didn't have world-class volleys. So for him to have the the foresight and to make that tactical adjustment and be like, I got to come to the net a ton here or I'm going to lose. And he does it. He executes. He wins the match. Was incredible by Rafa, but also really good to see Del Potro at his best once again. And the match of the year, I've already mentioned it. It really turned the tides in 2018. Djokovic and Nadal in the Wimbledon semifinal. It was Nadal's very next match. Uh, There was, I mean, this match had so much. First of all, the background. Djokovic, is he back? Or is he not back yet? Is the comeback complete? And this was the match that was going to tell us if Djokovic was back or not. Because to that point, the only person who Djokovic had really beaten, the only top players he had beaten all year, is Kei Nishikori. He beat Nishikori twice, and Nishikori is a top player, who Djokovic, by the way, owns. But up until then... Djokovic hadn't really beaten anyone. And now he's in the Wimbledon semifinal against Rafa Nadal. Is he back? And then for Nadal, he hadn't had success at Wimbledon for such a long time. Since going off memory, I think it was 2013. I think it had been five years since he really made it deep at Wimbledon. And finally, here he was with a chance if he could beat Novak Djokovic, who we weren't, who we 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 was not, we were not sure was at his best. All he would have to do was beat Djokovic, and then he would have Kevin Anderson in the final. What an opportunity! The same guy he beat in the U.S. Open final the year before. So this match felt like a final. There was so much at stake for both players. In hindsight, it decided year-end number one, and then the quality was high. It goes five sets. It's 10-8 in the fifth. The roof controversy just added to the buzz. We had a night to stew and, and think about it. To me, it was one of the best matches of all time. To me, if this book by Steve Flink, the greatest tennis matches of all time, if that book was republished, that match has to be in there. And that concludes the 2018 Monday Match Analysis Awards. The MMA Awards. What a tremendous tradition we have just begun. So with that, uh, let's talk a little bit about 
Paris. I have no drink. Normally, I would I would take a sip of espresso or something, but I have no drink to transition myself. And that's normally when Coffee Break Tennis sues me for stealing the whole coffee thing. I've noticed a lot of people love because I'm a, I'm obsessed with coffee. I've noticed a lot of people who love tennis love coffee. I don't know I don't know what that is, but um, that that's a big thing for some reason. Not sure why. Someone needs to maybe get to the bottom of that, do some sort of scientific study. Uh, World Tour Finals. Start. I'll start really with um, the run that Sasha Zverev had because he got blown out by Novak Djokovic in the group stage. The second set was 6-1. The first set was tight, 6-4. And he starts complaining about the schedule. He says, no professional sports league plays 11 months out of the year. A reporter asked him, Sasha, how are you feeling? You don't look so good. Sasha says, I haven't been feeling good for months. This schedule's ridiculous. I am exhausted. And then someone tweeted me. They said, who do you think's going to win? Sasha Zverev against John Isner. And I said... I think Sasha Zverev's already on vacation. I think he's counting down the days until the season ends. I'm taking John in this one. John was 0-2, but you know, he goes out there. He's playing for some rankings points. He's playing for some money. He can play pretty loose. I didn't really like how the court conditions were playing for John, but I thought if, if, if Sasha's not going to bring his best, John Isner's going to win. Talk about most improved player. Maybe it should be John and not Tsitsipas. I don't know. Because John Isner had a tremendous year and was much improved in 2018. And he's well past 30 years of age now. So I love what Isner's done. All of a sudden, Sasha Zverev, I'm watching this match against Isner. Sasha's serving bigger than John Isner. Sasha averages 134 miles per hour on his serve. John averages 133. What the hell is going on? Zverev plays such a clean match. And I talked about last week how Sasha doesn't miss. And he really showed that this week. Then going in against Roger Federer, Federer hadn't been at his best all week. He was kind of in Basel-like form. I thought Sasha was going to win the match. He did. Because the way he played against John, serving 140, he comes out Roger against Roger and he starts showing the same serve and he starts showing the same incredible consistency, clean hitting and ripping the ball, hitting it pretty big. He's still not an offensive genius. He still doesn't have a great midcourt game. He still struggles to finish points with his forehand. But he can still rip from the back. And he can rip over and over and over again. And I just didn't think Federer was at a high enough level, really, to to trade with him. So he beats Roger Federer. And then he plays Novak Djokovic. 
And this final, the rallies, and I expected, I picked Djokovic in this one. I said Djokovic in two. And I expected a lot of long rallies, but I ex- expected two things would happen. One, long rallies. Well, Novak's going to have better shot tolerance, and he's going to have better patience. And two, Novak's speed is going to be too much for Sasha's midcourt game to handle. And what I mean by that is I thought that Djokovic was so fast that Sasha is going to make errors trying to finish points, especially um, trying to finish in, in the midcourt with short forehands, short backhands. That's what happens. When, when you play a player who's very fast, you, you, get, you give yourself less margin and you start missing. And if you're not very talented at finishing points, putting away points, which I believe is one of the deficiencies in Sasha's game, on the forehand side especially, when you play a fast player... You you know that you can really start to make a lot of errors trying to finish points, and if you don't make a lot of errors, you can still struggle to finish points. And Djokovic could have used his defense. Instead, what we saw was Sasha's lungs, Sasha's endurance, and I think that's the most important part of shot tolerance. If if you're going to be a, a world class clean ball striker. Sasha's endurance was better than Novak's. Sasha could stay in points longer than Novak. And these rallies looked like Djokovic against Murray. 30-ball rallies where it was just clean trading. And, And remember, the goal of trading is to remain unattackable. That's the goal of trading. You have to hit good balls to remain unattackable. If if you don't hit a good trade, you're gonna get attacked. Sasha and Djokovic. You know, they both hit so clean. They've both mastered trading. They both hit really deep. So sort of what you had was just back and forth, a lot of trading between the two. And it was who who's going to falter first? Who's going to get tired first? Who's going to pull the plug on the rally first? And I remember there was one point where Sasha had a, uh, it was like a 30-ball rally between the two, and Djokovic was doubled over. Djokovic had to bend down, tired, exhausted. Sasha looked fine. On the very next ball, Djokovic tries a drop shot. First ball of the rally, tries a drop shot, nets it. That's Sasha winning with his lungs. Was Novak sick? I don't know. The second thing I saw and and the reason I ask was Novak sick is because he was sick in Paris. Was he still sick? I don't know. I can just tell you what I saw on the court. And that was Zverev was more fit to play long rallies than Djokovic. That's what was happening on the court. It is a shocker. It's a, it's a shocking thing to say. But it was the case. The second thing I saw was Zverev serve. 140 mile per hour first serves on a pretty consistent basis. And Djokovic had to block it. Djokovic doesn't have to block a lot of serves. Djokovic had to block a lot. The first eight games was played at an extremely high quality. Djokovic played a really loose game at four all. That was the break. But he couldn't dig into Sasha's service games. The serve was too big. There was too much consistency. No gifts by Zverev to Djokovic. No unforced errors. That was the break. He serves it out 6-4. 
in the second set, Djokovic really didn't have it. He was not timing the ball, and as soon as he went down a break, the fight left Novak fairly quickly. And once Sasha was up a break, there was a relapse of the kind of listless, uninspired Djokovic that we saw prior to Wimbledon when he was really struggling. A little relapse right before the end of the season, in his last match of the season. I don't know what it was about. I can't explain it. It was surprising to see. But Djokovic didn't fight very hard once he went down a break in the second set. Djokovic was pretty uninspired once he went down a break in the second set. We're starting to see what Zverev could be. And I don't know what happened with his serve. It's almost like when I close my eyes and imagine what happened. First of all, after he went to the media and said, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, someone sat him down and said something to him. I don't know what they said to him, but something changed in Zverev's mindset after he said that. And I wonder if they went on the practice court and asked Sasha to serve it as hard as he could, which is something that that's a good tool for people who, who seem to be holding back on their serve. The guy's six foot six. He should be serving bombs. For some reason, he doesn't really. But I think that they pulled out a radar gun and they said, I want you to serve it as hard as you can. Don't worry about getting it in. Serve it as flat and hard as you can. And he probably was making 65% of it. And it's like, why don't you serve it like that? I'm just speculating. I'm purely trying to imagine what possibly could have happened that after a full season, 10 months plus, Sasha Zverev serves it in the low 130s sometimes. And then all of a sudden, he serves the ball 140. What possibly could have happened? And he was serving at a really high percentage as well. That serve needs to be a weapon. We just saw that that serve can be a weapon. And that's something that you have to look out for in the beginning of 2018. Or 2019, rather. But do not misunderstand Sasha Zverev's game. This guy is astoundingly consistent. The man doesn't miss. And as I said last week, it is easy not to miss. But at the highest of high levels, when I say he is an elite trader of the tennis ball, when I say he doesn't miss, I mean he bashes the ball. He remains unattackable without missing because he's that talented in his ball striking. He's like Andy Murray that way. Andy Murray doesn't miss. Sasha's not as fast as Andy Murray. But what we just saw is Sasha can serve bigger than Andy Murray. What that was was the most stunning, one of the most stunning displays of 2018, one of the most stunning turnarounds of 2018. An extremely improbable three-day run by Sasha Zverev when, when this season looked over, when he looked down and out. And he turned it around and he showed us that there's a lot of promise for 2019. If you want to know if I think um, if Sasha Zverev will, will win a major in 2019, we're past the 30-minute mark, so I don't have time to get into that. But I did get into that with Jeff Salzenstein. So you can check out his channel, Tennis Evolution, 
Um, if you want to take, if you want to check out my chat with Jeff, Steve Flint conversation come up coming up, Chris Lewitt conversation coming up. Stay tuned for that. Rate and review on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at Gil Gross. Don't forget to subscribe. I will see you next time, folks. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.